We never know where life will lead us or what may hinder us along the way. But while every day can feel like one big question mark, it doesn't have to. With the right insights, strategies, and solutions from Western and Southern Financial Group, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco. And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Pelizzolo back here with Sam Monson. Today, breaking down the AFC South and North. It's another draft review. We've been going through every single draft. So let's just get right into it, Sam. Um, let's start AFC South. Is that where we are? Yeah. Okay. Let's start in the AFC South. Who's first? I don't have my list up. Let's just get let's just get to talk. Let's start with the Jaguars. We're going to go in whatever order oh, I decide because no. they picked first. Um, they picked Trevor Lawrence. They did, and nailed it. Dominant quarterback. He, I mean, they're the biggest winners of the draft. They got to ha- they get to draft Trevor Lawrence, the guy that's been destined to go number one for years. But they also have some questionable moves in there as well. What do you think of the Jags draft? Yeah, I mean, obviously drafting Trevor Lawrence was a no brainer, slam dunk, the pick everybody would make. Blah blah blah. There's not much to say about Trevor Lawrence, right? Generational talent, whatever, best quarterback in this draft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jags, get him. Things start in you. Let's hope he's as good as everybody thinks he is. Otherwise, they're, they're in trouble. What was curious was their next first-round pick. We have been talking about how do you use that extra first-rounder, right? If you've got that position, you're grabbing the quarterback up top. You have a second first-rounder later on. Do you use that on a Caleb Farley type of gamble? You know, a guy that's got some injury concerns or or some question mark, a red flag, but his payoff is huge? Or do you like play it safe, right? Do you grab a guy that you just think is going to be a really good player? Maybe an offensive lineman, maybe a defensive lineman, whatever. They draft a running back. Yeah. And they draft a running back having, having had like immediate, acute, like case study example of why you don't do that. Because the best rookie running back in the NFL last year was an undrafted rookie who played for Jacksonville. Only like six guys had a thousand yards last season. They had one of them and he was undrafted. So obviously the logical conclusion to come off the back of that is we need to draft one in the first round. It's just falling in love with the player evaluation more than anything else. It really is. You know, you love you love his production, you love his speed, you love what he does, and you're just like, I, I just want that on my team. Do you think that because this is being talked up as like the initial line was, hey, he's, he's going to be a third down back. He's going to be our scat back, and he's going to be behind the other two guys. Which and is that. obviously even more egregious if well, it's true. Yeah, A, it's it's probably like just ridiculous coach speak, and B, it sounds it makes it worse if it's true. So not a great thing to be saying, whatever. But the alternative idea is that Travis Etienne, Etienne, 
Etienne or whatever it's supposed to be in Creole, um, is a talented enough receiver that, I mean, they've said he's going to be, I think, dual trained was the term they use. I, he's going to like be taught running back and wide receiver. I mean, like, has, is, does Urban Meyer have enough creativity in him to justify a first round expenditure on a player like Travis Etienne within that role, within that offense? Can he craft an offensive role for him that makes first round value get paid back? I still don't think so because of what the alternatives are at that you know at that spot at 25 however if you're asking me will urban meyer who who is like the king of running back wide receiver hybrids you know yes. curtis samuel at ohio state of course percy harvin i mean he's got a history of right this stuff. which have been massively more successful in college than the nfl right? right we've been talking before about how there is this world where a running back wide receiver hybrid is like a cheat code on offense but nobody has yet cracked how to do it now and it's more from receiver going to running back yes not what this would ha- what this would have to do essentially is crack that code of how that works at the nfl level and him be the first guy to do it like it would it would for this to be justified urban meyer has to pioneer that role that we've been talking about and nail it yeah i, I think again just pointing to like what the data tells about forget first round running backs it's just the running back value on the field in general right they need you would just rather your targets go to different places okay so say they drafted elijah moore and so just think it's it's about like what's the fallout of this thing when you draft an etn in the first round at some point you're going to want to justify that yes and you're going to want to throw in bubbles you want to throw these bubble screens and stuff like that it's kind of like just because you can identify it doesn't mean it's valuable so i can identify that travis etn is a good player I, I doesn't mean that I need to value it in the first round. I can identify that he improved his receiving skills a ton this year. He did a great job this year. Made some plays down the field. Him and Trevor Lawrence made, had some great hookups down the field. But it doesn't mean that that's something I need to go get in the first round. Um, so again, just because they, they've identified this thing, and if they try to force it into the offense, and that takes targets away from DJ Chark, LaVisca Chenault, and Marvin Jones, or a hypothetical, let's say they added Elijah Moore to this offense a vertical threat you're going to win in the nfl jaguars once trevor lawrence is throwing the ball down the field at a high level one that's the biggest thing for trevor lawrence is it nice to have a running back who can catch the ball out of the backfield absolutely but it's the last thing that you need to finish this offense they need a tight end before that they have chris manhurts uh james o'shaughnessy maybe tim tebow i mean they don't have a threat at tight end at all but the reason Uh, that all those things are true is because conventional NFL offenses have yet to figure out how to make enough use out of running backs deep down the field for that to be the case, right? So now the issue is Christian McCaffrey is a great example. Christian McCaffrey is an incredibly talented receiver for a running back, but the problem is targets going to Christian McCaffrey, even uh, in wide receiver alignments, are less effective than targets going to wide receivers in wide receiver alignments. Because as good as Christian McCaffrey is, he's not as good as like a really good wide receiver. That's just natural, right? Because he's right. a running back. So if you're just saying go play wide receiver on this play, run a hook, you know, run a hook, run a post, run a comeback, he's just worse at doing that than Tyler Lockett or whatever your other receiver, you know, whatever the other receiver would be. DJ Moore in Carolina's example. Um, consequently, the targets that you're manufacturing for him there are less effective. But at the college level, you can 
create a much more ready system where you're getting these guys matched up deep down the field on linebackers and safeties all the time. And the NFL, you, it doesn't happen that much. Like the NFL is much better at defending that kind of stuff. So in order for this to work, you need to create this role within an offense that doesn't exist yet in the NFL that can consistently match Travis Etienne up down the field against players that don't belong in coverage. Linebackers, safeties, and not could, cornerbacks. I mean, you could do that enough. But like, there's a point, right? Once or twice doesn't justify it. You right. need to figure out how that works, where that can become a pretty significant part of your offense, which again, I'm, I'm not even saying that's not possible. I'm just saying it doesn't, it hasn't happened yet. And he's now putting it upon himself, Urban Meyer this is, to have to achieve that in yeah. year one, essentially, for this pick to make sense. And Alvin Kamara's <laughs> value is going to be tested a lot this year without Drew Brees feeding him the ball and, and attacking those mismatches and everything. Christian McCaffrey is the best receiving running back, as we know. But some of those games where he was awesome, it was like 12 checkdowns for 100 yards. Yeah. And the off, but because the offense couldn't do anything else, it, you, know, you, you, don't want your, you just don't want your running back catching the ball that much is the bottom line. Usually. And if, right, you, usually you, can... don't, you usually don't. The, uh, the other answer is if you are the Patriots – through the years with Tom Brady, there were a handful of games where Brady and a running back won the game for them, right? They just attacked mismatches, and those are nice things to have. I'm all about having multiple ways to win. It's just where did you where did you get that thing? And getting that thing in the first round is not the place to get it. Getting that, you know, uh, mismatches a couple times a year. Still have concerns about, uh, you know, Tyson Campbell they get at the top of the second round. You know, he, he was 108 on our board. I like him a little bit more than that, I think, maybe than, than Renner liked, but he's still a projection. He's a guy that was a solid, true freshman and uh, size and straight line speed, but struggles with the catch point, struggles with change of direction. And you already have a cornerback depth chart. I, I don't care about the cornerback depth chart, but CJ Henderson and Shaquille Griffin are both outside corners, as is Tyson Campbell. So does this mean that a new coaching staff actually doesn't believe in cj henderson a whole lot they brought in shaquille griffin do they not believe in cj henderson do they think henderson can play the slot i don't know um i'm all for taking corners i thought that was rich for campbell walker little's a bit of a project at tackle at 45 overall i like the fact that there is a forward-looking approach though cam robinson on the franchise tag Jawan taylor at right tackle has struggled they need a tackle in the future walker little could be that guy going forward andre cisco safety out of syracuse they get in the third round rangy guy just doesn't always know where he's running to I love that about a safety. He makes some incredible plays, just not – he flies around the field, just not always to the right spot, as mm. I like to say. And you love that, huh? Yeah. I love the great plays that he makes. Oh. So safeties are tough. You know, you can – if you can cut down on some of the, the bad angles and missed tackles, Cisco's yeah, pretty good I mean, player. Overall, I think it's not a bad draft. But, I mean, obviously, Trevor Lawrence in and of itself defines this draft. Like, if Trevor Lawrence is amazing, it doesn't matter what the hell you did after that. He could have torched every single one of your draft picks, and it's still a good draft. Um, I don't love they take tight end Luke Farrell out of Ohio State at 145 wasn't on our draft board barely did anything at Ohio State but is that just Urban Meyer connection recruited yeah. him and you do that in the fifth round you just you can't it's a it's it's a risk with a draft pick that I don't think they should be taking yeah I mean fifth rounds are lottery pickets at that point anyway anything from the fifth round onwards frankly do what the hell you like with it I don't care the, the most interesting one to me is Jordan Smith at 121, a guy who has incredible PFF grades, incredible production, but some of the worst change of direction numbers <laughs> you will ever see. 7.82 yeah. three cone. 7.82 in a three cone is For a defensive end. Amazing. But he did some things, you know, won some reps at the Senior Bowl. He's incredibly long, um, was a Florida recruit, uh, 
dominated at UAB for a couple of years, had some wins against Tennessee in pass pro, but he was, he's got really good run defense grades and pass rushing grades. Tom Brady's three-cone time was 7-2. He's more than <laughs> half a second slower than Tom Brady in the three-cone. Uh, I'm just saying, Jordan Smith, we don't always just say just look at the production grade, especially for an edge defender. It's production plus athleticism. That is what you're yes. trying to achieve for ultimate you know, <laughs> success. <Right>. However, <laughs> Jordan Smith will be a fascinating, I say it again, fascinating um, evaluation here and see if he could produce at the NFL level. Brady's was a 7-2, which is in the 27th percentile for quarterbacks. Yeah. And, and this guy was a 7-8. It was half, more than half a second slower than the 27th percentile for a quarterback. It's like mind-blowing how terrible that is. Like, I, did he fall over? I love Jordan Smith. I mean, I, I don't. I, that's, that's bad enough that I need to see video of it. Like, how is that even possible without falling over halfway through the three-cone? I'm hoping it's a typo. Hey, yeah. look, DK Metcalf had a, had a three-cone that you made fun of for years as well. Yes, and his was slower than Tom Brady's, but faster than this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, we're going all over the place here, out of order. So uh, what do we give the Jags draft here? Give him a B plus. Um, Seven four was DK's three cone. I thought that I, I thought the Jags. Just to repeat, we're not perfect. It's not always based off our draft board, but when you have four picks in the top forty-five, I just thought that group of players would look better. We knew the Trevor Lawrence thing. That's a slam dunk. You don't really get credit for the slam dunk. You don't right. get credit for the easy one. I thought that the next three players Which would. Is look ironic, really, because the slam dunks are the they're the posters. They're the the the, yeah. uh, the NFTs that make all the cash. Well, normally you have to work hard to get there. The the hard work though is going one in fifteen. So uh, they earned it. Um, the the three players of Travis Etienne, Tra Tyson Campbell, and Walker Little, and even Andre Cisco at sixty five. I thought that three or four players would look better coming out of this. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I don't love the ETN pick is the one that I think I have the biggest problem with. I get taking the gambles on the other guys. Um, Tyson Campbell one is a bit of a strange one, but if that was your weird pick in the draft, okay. It's just, again, if any team would not draft a running back in the first round based off like recent learning data points, it should be Jacksonville. All right, let's go to the Indianapolis Colts. I want to finish with Houston in this division. We'll I'm finish already with finished them. with Houston. Because they'll be quicker. Uh, <laughs> Indianapolis Colts. Uh, we gave them a C plus. And Chris Ballard, look, he's got a track record of drafting extremely well. And these players could be good. Uh, Pay, love him. First round, 21 overall, edge. Dio Oriyingbo from um, Vanderbilt. Uh, battling injury, but 54 overall. Another really good player. Fills a need at edge. I'll circle back to the Colts' needs in a minute. Kylan Granson was their next pick, fourth-round tight end. Sean Davis, safety out of Florida. And they got Sam Ellinger as a, as a quarterback option out of Texas. Man, that's going to be one pissed-off Carson Wentz. Oh, man. Carson, look, he's a sixth-rounder. He's you not think really they gave him a heads up? You, oh, you think they had him on the phone like, Carson, listen, just relax. We're going to take a quarterback here, but it's, it's nothing to worry about. Not again. Trust me. We've not seen again, his guys. We've seen his Texas tape. He's not a threat. Unless you to throw that first pick and you're looking over your shoulder. Where's Ellinger? Watch, Ellinger's a winner. Watch out. Uh, he doesn't care. Um, so, yeah, I think the Colts got okay players. My big question is you don't go in to fill needs, but needs and value were matching up. And they had opportunities to get players that we liked. It's not that we're always right about this stuff. I'm and just, also, just full disclosure, we're going li what we call live to tape here. Wow. We're recording this on Tuesday. The... Um, my forehead's still in rough shape. It's still the yeah. Tuesday episode. I'm still wearing the same hoodie still that Tuesday, I wore on the Tuesday yeah, show. Okay. Yeah. But we're but this is being 
but we're like live here on Friday. Okay. So little inside baseball. Since that point, the Colts may have signed a left tackle. They may have signed yeah, other players. True. They haven't I'm. signed Villanueva, though. He's As of gone. right now, my guy Alejandro Villanueva has gone to the future Super Bowl champion Baltimore Ravens. Um, so my big question about the Colts, what are they doing at left tackle? That's and, what's amazing, right? They And the receiver situation is still not good enough. It's just not. playing this game of chicken with the left tackle position all the way through the offseason. It's like, well, maybe they'll jump here. Maybe they'll – I get no point. Do they? And they were the ones that said that – they have confidence in Sam Tevy, right? Didn't they say that? Or am I imagining that? It's, you told me that. I took it as... Um, I mean, I read it somewhere. Truth. I'm pretty sure. I'm just... You confirming that I've said that out loud means that it existed somewhere. I didn't make it up out of, Te- it, yeah. out of nowhere. So, Sam Tevy, Julian Davenport's the backup. That's pretty terrifying. Um, but, look, the tackles are still available. Okay, Villanueva isn't. Russell Okung is. Now you're going to have to work out how the Bitcoin stuff works for that to happen. Some te- Sam Tevy context uh-huh. pff grades since 2017 yeah they're not gonna be good 59 53 56 52 insignificant playing time as well um top pass block grade was a 67 on a smaller sample size in 2017 it's it's all been pretty bad for sam tevy so far yeah now maybe they maybe their plan is for like you know an eric fisher or mitchell schwartz it's like all right we don't love villanueva or we don't love russell okung Maybe we can like muddle through six games of Sam Tevy before we sign an Eric Fisher and have him like finish is, the season for us. Is Jason Valdir still out there? Jared Valdir. Jared. Oh my gosh, what am I doing? I just is Valdir out there though and still trying to play? He signed for somebody, didn't he? Did he go back to the Packers? Because that whole thing confused me because he played in two different Jared. I'm sorry about. I'm sorry that Valdir. By the way, uh, I don't see him. currently a free agent. Okay. I mean, even just bringing in Valdir, as old as he is and, you know, coming out of retirement and the whole thing, that makes the tackle situation look a little bit better. The point is, the Colts have had an incredible offensive line, and you don't want to lose that. Um, My bigger concern is with Carson Wentz, and I repeat myself a lot, but it depends on which show you're watching. (laughs) So if you watch the entire PFF draft show, you've heard this before. If you haven't, this is new. Carson Wentz's career, Sam. Yes. Top 10 pass blocking and run blocking offensive line every single season until last year. He has never had a good receiving, he's never had a receiving core rank in the top 10 only in 2017, that MVP caliber season when he had Alshon Jeffrey, career year at the time from Nelson Aguilar. They had a good group. Here's the thing, though, that I think is the most important. Like almost every single quarterback in the world suffers to some degree or other when they're pressured. Wentz suffers more than yeah. most. So since he came into the NFL, his PFF passing grade is 91 when he hasn't been pressured. It drops to 51 when he has been pressured. So there's a 40-point drop in PFF grade when Carson Wentz gets put under pressure. There are few quarterbacks in the league who you want to make sure are protected more than Carson Wentz to guarantee you're getting whatever is there in the high-end play. And whatever is there in the high-end play for Wentz is more of a question mark now than it's ever been. So of all the teams that had some kind of question mark on their offensive line, particularly at left tackle, you would think that the Colts would be as keen as anybody to fix that. Just And again, just to reset, they had Anthony Costanzo there. He retires. Yes. He was, he was as solid as it gets. With Costanzo, Quentin Nelson at left guard, Ryan Kelly at center, Mark Lewinsky at right guard, 
right tackle at Braden Smith. Not one guy graded below 68, 67 last year. A couple guys in the 80s. Replacing Costanzo was the big question. So just getting that back to status quo was important for the Colts. I did a whole article workshopping what these things could have been. They didn't do any of them. Um, <laughs> but they could still get o- Okung, right? But it was essentially, do you draft? Do you get the mid-tier free agent? Do you try to go for Trent Williams? Do you all, do all these things? Do you just sit there and roll with Sam Tevy? Do you roll with Sam Tevy? Did you Clearly, game that out? Did I you did not. Out I'm going to go back and show that it's the riskiest one. <laughs> um, so to me, if, 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 if I'm investing in Carson Wentz, my offseason plan is, A, offensive line, make sure it's top 10. Got to do it. Carson Wentz has never experienced this before without it. And when he did, his whole life fell apart. His whole Everything he did fell apart. Um, the second thing, he's, he has not elevated a receiving core. This is not unique to Carson Wentz. The, the reason why we sit here on this show every single week and say, get more receivers, get more receivers, get more receivers, is because there's like two quarterbacks in the NFL that can elevate subpar receivers or average receivers and create big offense. They, the rest of the NFL needs to be as good as possible when it comes to playmakers. And unlike other teams where you're like, okay, this, this entire offensive line needs work, like one guy isn't necessarily fixing it, the Jamar Chase, Panay Sewell debate, it's like, oh, you, you, you know, okay, you didn't take Sewell, but on the other hand, like Sewell isn't fixing that offensive line on his own, right? The Colts are liter- literally a left tackle away from having a really good offensive line. Like well, four-fifths of it are great. And maybe that's the argument. Maybe they didn't have to. Maybe, the, maybe they have crept back to an average, and they're fine. They're in, they've crept back to an average backwards, but they're okay. I mean, they're saying the, we can roll with a weakness. Right. Maybe the plan is to just have Jack Doyle or Mo Ali Cox chip every single play on, for the left yeah. tackle. Um, so again, I, I tweeted out the other day that they should be calling, say, Denver about Tim Patrick, and I, you know, some I had an astute follower list a few other receivers who could be out on the market, and I think there are a few that the Colts should be calling. But with Wentz, it should have been fix the offensive line, just don't let that fall apart. From an, from a receiver, when I tweeted out that the receivers are an issue, somebody said, well, they have T. Y. Hilton and Zach Pascal and Paris Campbell. Mm-hmm. All you listed was the starters for the Colts. You did not list a good receiving core. All you list. T. Y. Hilton's fine. Pascal's meh. Paris Campbell's a gadget player. Michael Pittman, last year's second round pick. I'm glad that they added him last year. Could be a good possession receiver. Fine. I want him as my number three or four. Right, and that's it. Wide receivers potentially available now. It's like Alshon Jeffrey, Kenny Stills, Demir Bird, D.D. Westbrook. Like it's not. Yeah, the rest of the the other positions. Tackle has players. Corner has some players, but there aren't there aren't really receivers available. So. It's my big concern. If you're going to make a run with Carson Wentz, I think you need to be loaded at receiver and, and keep that offensive line good. Um, and they didn't attack any of that stuff. So it's, it's, it's really just a concern going forward yeah. to see what they're going to do. Um, Quiddy Pay, fine. The edge group was bad. We said that before in the draft. I'm glad that they added two players there. It was good. I, I didn't like – I think they left – they left some opportunities on the table. Yeah, I, it's just fascinating that they have decided – you know, they doubled up on edge – they don't have a great record of turning those athletic defensive linemen into stars yet, but whatever. They they swung at that a couple of spots, and they're decent players. And ben Banigou, a huge miss right. from a couple of years ago so far. And they will see how those work out, but it's, it's fascinating that they completely ignored that one glaring weakness and the secondary weakness, second, the second biggest weakness they have in terms of wide receiver and just have not made moves in those directions yet, which, like, if you're the Colts, Whatever about every relative strength and weakness on your roster, your mission this year should be to, for the love of God, make sure Carson Wentz doesn't fail. 
Yeah. Because you're going to be giving up a first-round pick for him. Like, if he plays this year, you're coughing up a first. So make sure the guy doesn't fail. Otherwise, it looks ridiculous. Yeah. And, and in look, order to do that, you need a left tackle and some receivers. Yeah. And I would much rather go into the season with a weakness at edge. Right. And, you know, you try to lure Justin Houston back or something like that. I mean, I'd much rather go with a weakness on the defensive line than I would at receiver. And I know people are going to say it's not weak. It's just there's I mean, no way you could look at T.Y. Hilton, Pascal, Paris Campbell, and Michael Pittman and say that's not bottom five to ten in the in the league. Right. right like now. Edge actually has some options in free agency still. Mel, Melvin Ingram is still out there. Melvin Ingram can be a decent pass rusher right. for the team. Um, like there's options at edge rusher. That, I, I would have played that game if I was the Colts. I love Quiddy Pay. He's fantastic. Chris was pushing everybody to NFL.com to read it, to hear his story. It's great. But um, Colts C+. Plus. Where we went with it mm -hmm. um tennessee titans they're an interesting one too i've got the same reservations about receiver but i also loved a lot of the other players that they got i think the titans they came in a little dangerous with some of the needs that they've had on their team but i think this draft may have filled a bunch of them caleb farley first round dylan radon's in the second round yeah, that offensive this, tackle. This feels like the Vikings draft from a year ago, where it's like you put yourself in a pretty tough spot rolling into the draft in terms of needing to hit on a couple of decent positions early, and you appear to have done that pretty well. Like the Vikings came out of that draft with Justin Jefferson, with uh, a couple of cornerbacks. Um, the, uh, the Titans grabbed Caleb Farley in the first round, Dylan Radon's in the second round. Like They appear to have nailed the positions that they needed to hit with that, just that one question mark being, what is the wide receiver group going to look like? And the real question mark with their first rounder was Caleb Farley. We, on our podcast here, we said fail, we gave Farley the Titans. It seemed risky. It is risky because of the back injury. If he hits, though, man, that's a nice little group. He's the best cornerback in this draft if yeah. he stays healthy. Um, and that is obviously a massive question mark because the guy's had multiple back surgeries. But, like, the stuff that he's good at is ridiculous. Nobody has the kind of burst towards the football that he has. Nobody um, has the kind of recovery speed that he has. He's got length. He moves in a way that a guy that size shouldn't be able to move. These are traits that you chase in the NFL. And to the point where you're willing to take a risk at the, you know, the mid, the sort of lower third of the first round because the payoff is potentially monstrous. The Titans were the ones that took the chance on Jeffrey Simmons. Yep. And, you know, he's been a pretty good player. Um, Albeit a much more sort of conventional injury, if you like. True. So Farley and Janoris Jenkins at corner. You know, Jenkins is a good number two corner. Um, so in, for, in Farley, as you mentioned, he's got all the traits to be a one. So that could be a nice little combination there. Uh, I love Elijah Mold Molden at 100 overall. He's not a scheme fit for everybody, but a slot safety hybrid. We mentioned him a ton on the show. Mike Hilton is the guy that he reminds me of between Mike Hilton and uh, Tyron Matthew. But I think he's a valuable player. Knows how to um, – quick. He's very quick. Um, makes plays on the ball. So I like Molden going to that secondary. Um, and then Dylan Radunz. They had – they went in with the dangerous spot, like hole at right tackle because they missed on Isaiah Wilson last year. They let um, Jack Conklin walk. Ooh, mm -hmm. So Radunz has a spot, has a chance to step right in at right tackle to fill that spot. The question's at receiver, though. They only drafted Des Fitzpatrick and Racy McMath – for a fourth and sixth round aj brown sitting there with a 90 grade nobody else on the roster has a higher than a 65 even fitzpatrick at louisville only had a 73 grade last year i don't want to see ryan Tannehill without 
really good weapons, and they've lost Corey Davis and John U. Smith this yeah. offseason. Smith as well is the sort of important part of that, right? Now they're going to be relying on Anthony Ferkser to, to make some plays. But, yeah, this is a team that didn't just lose a receiver, but they lost the, their receiving tight end as well. So now you are like, this is A.J. Brown, and who the hell else can step up and make some plays? Uh, they bring in Josh Reynolds, who is a guy that seems to keep getting chances to show that he can be more than he has been so far. He's not as good as Corey Davis. No, I are know they, that. Are they thinking he can just run the over routes that Corey Davis was running last year off play action? Maybe. And more to the point, if you look at everybody else in the roster, like you might have the best shot of that right. of anybody there. Um, so he's a guy that I think you need to at least factor in as you know a body on this depth chart. But I'm with you that like right now this is A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry and I, I mean, to be fair to them, that was how they were winning games last year, right? It was those two dudes taking over. Yeah, the dudes. Things keep it close, and then one of those guys will break five tackles in the fourth quarter, and that's how we win. Uh, so I get, man, if that's the plan again, <laughs> maybe it'll work. But it does look a little bit more high risk this year when there aren't alternatives. Yeah, it, there's also the injury factor too. Part of the reason why we say load up at corner and receiver is you generally can't handle injuries, and you don't. You don't even want to know. Like if AJ Brown isn't out there, then it's literally the worst receiving core in the group in the in the NFL. This is what Washington was trotting out there a couple of years ago with Terry McLaurin. You, I wanted to put them last last year. You're like, well, Terry McLaurin's too good hmm. to rank them last. AJ Brown is too good to rank the Titans last. But if he's not there, they're dead last. It's not even close. Yeah, um, there are teams that have better tight end receiving weapons than they have receiving weapons as at receiver. I mean, it's it's bad. So. <laughs> I have concerns about the Titans there. The players they picked, though, uh, three potential contributors and starters and those guys that I mentioned uh, as far as uh, Farley and Ray Duns and Elijah Molden. They get Monty Rice to play linebacker in uh, the third round. Rashad Weaver's already got some off-field question marks in fourth round, yeah. so they did not. Somebody was tweeting at us to get the uh, private detectives over there working for Tennessee. Yeah. I mean, you'd think, like, after last year, maybe we might want to invest a little bit more in that, but... Uh... Hasn't happened so far. At least far. it's a fourth rounder instead of a first rounder. Yes. Uh, what did we give the also, Titans Also, he denies it, by the way, for what it's worth. I mean, what? maybe he's fine. Maybe he's fine. We gave the Titans an A. But, um, again, still work to do. Colts and Titans, one of the biggest stories of the offseason for me in this lowly AFC South that nobody really cares about. <laughs> I want to know what they're going to do at receiver. I want to know what the Colts are going to do at tackle. I just They, they still have some offseason work to do. Maybe they'll get creative. Maybe they will hit on some of those late free agents or cuts or whatever but th their roster building is not done either team no speaking of not done yeah the houston texans uh before i get into it um if you watch the tuesday show you saw me wearing the same sweat taylor hoodie you well, did i'm back you are and uh the sweat tail sweat taylor sweat taylor.com s-w-e-t newest sponsor of the pff nfl podcast premium menswear that is defining a new kind of casual from jackets and pants to uh joggers and hoodies i love you millennials making joggers and hoodies just like business cash yeah upgrade you like joked about this like half a decade ago and that's actually what's happened yeah and sweat tailors making it happen yeah their designs are are made to seamlessly fit into your life moving from runway to office office to drinks and drinks to wherever the night takes you specializing in athleisure wear for men these pieces are designed for, with comfort and versatility in mind for every day use the promo code pff sweat that's s-w-e-t for 25% off, that's PFF-SWET for 25% off your order at SweatTaylor.com. S-W-E-T, Taylor.com. Welcome back to Western and Southern. Yeah, we forgot the helmet. Love you guys. Always love you guys. 
All right. Houston Texans. The dumpster fire. What's happening? They're, they were coming in a little hamstrung. Yeah. With only a handful of picks. First pick is 67 overall. They use it on Davis Mills. They trade up to get Nico Collins. Is that mm-hmm. right? Uh, wide receiver out of Michigan. Could be a pretty good player. Mm-hmm. Brevin Jordan's not a bad pick at 147, tight end. Garrett Wallow, linebacker at 170. You know, some people had him as one of the best linebackers in the draft. Getting him at 170 is, um, well, it's expected because he was 183 <laughs> on our draft board. And then Roy Lopez in round six. Uh, bottom line for the Texans they needed volume you need volume they're they're hamstrung to come in to come with you know but so to start with but mike renner said that they lit their first pick on fire yeah by picking um, davis mills I, I think i'm with him you can look at this and you say all right the texans can't fix this in one off season right nothing they could have done this off season can take them from where they were to like done fixed good they, it was going to be a multi-year project anyway. So whatever you're, when you're analyzing what they're doing, you probably have to look at it through that lens. Like free agency, they signed like 158 guys, all of whom are going to occupy the bottom 25 spots on the roster. And it's like, well, what are we even doing here? Because um, what they're doing is they're just trying to start a foundation. They're just trying to clear house, dump the dead wood on this roster, get some new players in and just figure out who can stick and then keep building on this thing as we go. But with that in mind, with the draft... I agree with you. The thing that they needed was was um, was volume of players and draft picks, but also, like, what is the point in Davis Mills? Like, it, you don't have a pick until the third round, 67. You have, like, probably one, maybe two picks that are ever going to be a factor on this team, right? Third rounder is where you're expecting that line to be drawn. Anything after that is basically a bonus. So let's like take the third rounder and try and find a guy who can at least be relevant on this team. Nico Collins trading up was bad, but Nico Collins at least fits that bill. You can imagine how he can come in and has a path to be a starting wide receiver and a guy that can contribute. Davis Mills, there's just no relevance that he has to this roster. He's not like you can't go from Deshaun Watson to Davis Mills. And if he's just a backup, what is the point? Just in case he hits. I mean, the point is... Deshaun Watson's going to be gone. Tyrod Taylor is the starter. You're starting over with a terrible roster, as you said. You need a, you're going to need a quarterback. So your you're going first to be the pick quarterback is, a backup, is a backup for Tyrod Taylor. No, it's a shot at a quarterback who could be a starter. Who knows? Like We don't know what Davis Mills is going to be. I know we've evaluated him, and you see he's pick-and-stick guy. He's got a pretty good arm. Doesn't have He's okay touch. He makes a lot of bad decisions right now, but he's a young starter. Hasn't played a ton of football. And you're taking a shot on a guy that, you know, if he hits, the payoff's incredible, like any other quarterback. It's harder, it's a harder pill to swallow because you didn't have a first or second round pick. If they did have a first or a second, and then you take a shot on Davis Mills in third, it's like, okay, that's genius. But, you know, Nick Casario steps into a terrible situation where they don't have any draft picks. I'm not justifying it necessarily. I'm just justifying the thought process of it. I would love to get you know, their entire defensive line needs help. Their entire secondary needs help. The whole <laughs> roster needs help. So if you did burn one of your picks, at least it's on a quarterback. There's always the outside chance that it could, you know, be good and, and pay off. It just It's better than a running back. Even when you look at it and say this is a multi-year project, you need to get 
you're only you're not going to fix it all this year but you need to take a step this year you need to do something that actually moves in that direction instead what they did is like all right we don't have much to play with here so let's take everything we have to play with in this third round pick and let's just go double or nothing that's what they, they've taken this pick here's the pick <laughs> yeah. put it on red spin Trade the wheel and tell me if we get two picks or nothing. I think trading up for Nico Collins is more egregious than picking Davis. I, mean, Mills. I think they're both pretty egregious. That's I, I the thing. Those are their up, only two worthwhile picks. Trading up. Look, Casario Casario's trading up after all the trade downs that New England had all these years. It's just that's just interesting to me. Nico Collins. Fascinating. I, fascinating even. Interesting and fascinating is what everything is to me. Um the, the the Texans mo the last few years is walking away with four players, five players, six players in the draft. Not enough players. Yeah, I always use the example: Patriots drafted thirty nine times in three years. The Jets drafted thirteen times in three years. Draft thirty nine times as much as possible. That the Texans' goal should be draft 12, 13 times per year over the next three years, and that's how they're going to replenish the roster. And then those veteran signings that Casario makes you know the Desmond Kings of the world and all you sprinkle those in with 35 40 players in the draft over the next few years that's how you build the roster they just came they have the worst roster in the NFL and they came out of it with five players all third round or later one of which is a quarterback um, the only part that I get about it is if he did become a starter that payoff is is incredible and he might start it's going to be Davis Mills and Tyrod Taylor likely battling <sighs> for the Texans' job, this literally looks like an expansion team. The way Casario brought people in, expansion it team. looks like the 2002 Texans just started, and it's an expansion team. It might be worse than an expansion team. Like, what? all right, let's look at this roster. What have you actually got that you want to keep here any period of time? Brandon Cooks, good. Laramie Tunsil, good. Um, Deshaun Watson, probably not there. Uh, I mean, Marcus Cannon is a good player still. Yeah, Cannon's there. Um, defense. Zach Cunningham. Nothing. Shaq Lawson. Justin solid. Reed. Justin Reed. Bradley Roby. Justin Reed. Bradley Roby. Desmond King. Maybe Terrence Mitchell. I mean, this is bad, bad, bad. Kevin Pierre Lewis is like the interesting thing is the bottom twenty-five guys that they added on the roster are actually intriguing. It's just that the top twenty guys suck. It is true. They are. If you look at their third string on our depth chart that we're looking at here, you've got guys like Lonnie Johnson and John Reed and Duke Giafor and. Ross Blacklock, guys that could be okay. Yeah. Their third I liked string's not a bad. lot of the moves they made in free agency. Now, part of that was because they made 128 moves, and just by sheer volume of numbers, you're going to like quite a lot of them. But, again, it's like, what are you – what? Like, where are we going here? Like, the, the bottom 20 guys are great, but they, they don't no, really mean anything if the top 20 guys are awful. I get the culture change. Maybe turn that around. But you're right. I mean, if, if the goal is to be good in three years, which it has to be at best, Who's who's part of that in three years? Right. Where, and, and there's not even uh, there might be one or two drafts. There hasn't been a five. single big move that moves you in that direction. Like if you had done what they've done in terms of volume and low price guys and made one big swing, anything, one massive move, and be like, all right, that guy is a cornerstone. There is no cornerstone right now. Nope. Nothing. C minus draft. Yeah. Texans. Not good, Bob. <clears throat> NFC South now? Is that what we promised? You want you want both Souths? Oh no no no! It's AFC North. Yeah, sorry. Because that was taking it to a whole new. I'm level losing of track of uh, being out of order here. The AFC North. Cincinnati Bengals. <laughs> Baltimore Ravens. No, Baltimore. Let's start you with the Ravens. Look at this. 
Um, as we record here today, live to tape on Tuesday, they just signed the great Alejandro Villanueva. So the, they listened. The Villanueva saga is. Do you over. get a piece of that, or is, is somebody just that emailed us that I should be getting a piece? And yeah, I will be calling. I will be calling my friends at the Ravens and see you. You should be calling Villanueva's people. Look, as a fellow six foot whatever person, True. I have Look, been banging I, the first, drum for you for weeks. I first fell in love with Villanueva when he moved from left tackle to wide receiver <laughs> at Army. He played a whole season, 2010 or 11. I think it was 10 whole season at wide receiver in Army's triple Can you imagine offense. trying to cover that? He was legit. It's just ridiculous. He was absolutely legit. Yeah. And um, that's how athletic he is. And I mean, it also kid. helps when you have like a three-foot longer wingspan than the poor dude trying to cover you. You you know that. Yes. Torched you deep. Um, so the Baltimore Ravens, they completed that entire trade. The, the, full, the full trade now is essentially, or the, the exchange here, Orlando Brown, for the first round pick, all the other picks moved around, but they get Odafe Owe, formerly Jason Owe of Penn State, in the first round, replace Orlando Brown with Alejandro Villanueva, presumably going to step in at right tackle. I will say, of all of the fits, though, I don't, I like Villanueva's fit with the Ravens the least because he's not a great run blocker. Um, they're going to run the ball a ton. He is a good, solid pass protector, average pass protector. That's what I appreciate and like about Ali, Alejandro. So from a business standpoint, the Ravens did a great job getting the first-round pick, getting rid of Orlando Brown, and they probably take a little bit of a hit on the offensive line going from Orlando Brown the way he has played to what Villanueva probably will do within the Ravens system. So you take a little bit of hit at tackle in order to go get a free shot at a Jason Odafe away of Penn State. I mean, this is an interesting one for your you know extra data points thing of – what happens when you put a proven commodity and a solid baseline somewhere else into this offensive line? Yeah. Like we've seen what happens when you lose and you have to replace from within, but we haven't really seen anybody come from outside and get thrown into this. That's, we know it's a really beneficial system in terms of what it does to offensive linemen, but we haven't quite seen what it does specifically to a guy who we have a pretty good handle on what his baseline is in, in various different facets. And there's two reasons why. And I think the Ravens are smart obviously, and they know how to exploit this. We talk about schematic advantages that make players look better, but there's two reasons why. There's the pass protection thing. You don't want Lamar to scramble, but there's also the run game where defensive linemen are trying to find the ball. This started in right. college about 10 years ago. Poor defensive linemen, linebackers, they don't know where the ball is. They're getting blocked off the ball because they're trying to find it, and that does help with blocking angles and just the idea that you're, you're blocking someone who's not trying to shed the block. Yeah, and you have to cover, as a defense, you have to cover an extra gap. Like, even independent of figuring out where the hell the ball is, you have to actually lock up a different gap that most offenses you don't have to think about. The quarterback, the idea that he can take it around the edge and suddenly you've got an extra body in, in account for it. So those do, that does change everything in terms of um, what the offensive line is dealing with because they're not having defenders react the same way. So I think it does benefit run blocking as well as it benefits pass protection. Uh, so the Ravens get Rashad Bateman in the first round, wide great, receiver great. out of Minnesota. You love this fit here yeah. for what they were trying I mean, to I, do? Well, I love Bateman. I think he's a great pick. And, and if it wasn't, you know, in a, in a normal draft where you don't have a Devontae Smith and a Jamar Chase, I think Bateman could easily be like the number one wide receiver in a lot of different draft classes. Um, a guy that can do everything, can play as an X receiver, can be that guy that we've been talking about the Bravens needing to try and find, you know, what happens if you plug a Julio Jones in there? Well, Bateman isn't the Julio Jones, but 
he's he can play that position in terms of doing everything well, winning on the outside one-on-one, winning in all different ways and at all different levels. So I'm all for seeing what that looks like. So Bateman comes in. They bring in Tylen Wallace uh, later in the draft as well. Also a good move. Yeah, and he, he's a fourth rounder. He knows how to win down the field. A contested catch type of guy who's not 6'3 or anything like that, but he knows how to win down the field. So they're attacking that position with volume there with Sammy Watkins coming in this offseason. So they should be better there, right? Sammy Watkins Marquise, and pushes Marquise Brown down the depth chart, man. So he doesn't have to be that number one. He can be the speed guy. Watkins does add some speed. He's the decoy, right? Bateman decoy. can be the higher volume type of receiver with his releases and route running. Miles Boykin, Tylen Wallace still there. Um, so I like where they're going in, in that department. Um, and then on the offensive line, they had Ben Cleveland at uh, 94 overall in the third round. He's a monster, absolute monster out of Georgia. They added Kevin Zeitler this offseason. We know they just added Villanueva. But Cleveland has a shot to maybe step in, play some left guard. You can move Bradley Bozeman perhaps to center. Um, they've got some options there and some versatility on that offensive line now. So. Ben Cleveland looks more like a you know world's sm- strongest man contestant than does. he does an offensive lineman. Like they just drafted Magnus for Magnuson, right? Like he's just built like one of these like weird guys that looks like a cartoon that's not supposed to exist in those in the, in that way. And put next to when you see him like standing next to normal human beings, it just looks absurd. And then with Odafe Owe, uh, this offseason, they let. Um, Matthew Judon, go. Bring back Pernell McPhee and Tyus Bowser. Both of those guys starting on the edge. Owe is the the next guy there. When you think about his speed, athleticism, change of direction in this system that's going to stunt and blitz and give him some free rushes and one-on-ones, he's got a chance to eat here. I, I like I like Owe in this system, obviously. Yeah, I mean, the Ravens have a track record, not just of developing uh, edge rushers, but of also scheming them up free pressure. So those two things put together make this a pretty great scenario for any edge rusher to land in. They did not have a second round pick. That was uh, went to the Chiefs. You know, they exchanged seconds and thirds and the whole thing. Um, the questionable move was Brandon Stevens. He's a really athletic corner at 104, but not, not on our draft board. Um, and then they took a shot at Sean Wade at you know 160 overall yeah i kind of like that i yeah. mean assuming they're gonna play him at safety if they're gonna play him a corner i hate it um, yeah and they'll move their safeties all over the place they have deshaun elliott chuck clark, chuck clark jordan richards geno stone they have all sorts of players all over the place there but wade could just you know step into that mix and, and compete yeah like wade was just eviscerated as an outside cornerback you know like to the point where it's like you can't i wouldn't even draft that guy if that's the only place he can play but he's a guy with some serious pedigree who has good tape in his past, just not on the outside of corner. So for a team like Baltimore that is, you know, au fait with that positionless football type of stuff, absolutely grab a guy like him and see if you can turn him back into something in a different position. Ravens, we gave a B plus. Let's go to the Cincinnati Bengals. They went the Jamar Chase route, man. They went with Jamar at F. five. Oh, stop it. Don't even bring it up. <laughs> Some people wanted Panay Sewell so much that they gave the Bengals an F. That's the end of the story. Jamar Chase, this whole decision. They played it well, but it was interesting what they did in the second round, right? Yeah. Because Tevin, J- we would have said, get Jamar Chase at five. Tevin Jenkins is on the board. Late first round pick for us. He's on the board early second. They didn't take Tevin Jenkins. They actually trade down and get Jackson Carmen, local boy here in Cincinnati, uh, out of Clemson. Renner's take on Carmen. I didn't love Carmen. Um, he's got some power. He's a little clunky from a pass pro standpoint. But Renner likes him at guard. If he comes in and plays guard. Which is where their bigger hole is. Yeah, I like this even more. If he can play guard in year one, play tackle in year two, 
and he's good there. Um, also, it buys you some time to maybe get another tackle in there. Maybe he stays at guard, whatever. But I like that as a move because you have Riley Reef. I was always wondering, how do you fit in Panay? How do you fit it? I like a guard that could play tackle. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's the best of both worlds. So Jamar Chase plus Jackson Carmen is a pretty good little two-round takeaway for the Bengals. Yeah. I mean, I tweeted after they made the pick, the Bengals were right to draft Jamar Chase over Panay Sewell. They would have also been right to draft Panay Sewell over Jamar Chase, who was a toss-up. 50-50, take your pick. And this is why. Because you come back in the second round, the draft is longer than one round old, and you have a shot to address the, the one that you didn't pick in the second round and beyond. Um, I Jackson Carmen, I think, was a guy that people weren't penciling in in that spot. But I don't hate it. I don't, you know, it, it makes sense. They did trade back. They picked up extra collateral. They got a guy who is probably going to start and fill the more acute of the needs. And ultimately, you're pairing, you're putting back together one of the most potent wide receiver quarterback combinations in college football history. That's probably not a bad thing ever. So let's roll. Let's see what it looks like. It comes back to if if your offensive line is just good enough, the payoff of a burrow to chase connection is incredible. Yeah. Yes, there's a world where you could have Panay Sewell and, say, former LSU wide receiver Terrace Marshall. Is the payoff as much if those guys connect versus Burrow and Chase? I don't know. I don't think so. So Chase at five. Um, I love flooding the field with Chase and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, even Auden Tate being in there. Um, and then they took shots on linemen later, Dante, uh, Dante Smith from East Carolina, Trey Hill, the center out of Georgia. We were saying at some point you should just you know take take linemen for the rest of your picks. Yeah, later in the draft, they almost did it. But they also loaded up on defensive linemen. Uh, Joseph Asai, the edge, the um, Cameron uh, Cameron Sample on the edge uh, out of Tulane, and Tyler Shelvin, the monster interior defensive lineman out of LSU, one of those two down nose tackles that can step in and play. They've added a ton of depth on that defensive line now with Trey Hendrickson coming in, Larry Ogunjobi. They've reshaped this entire defensive line. Did I say offensive? Defensive line these last couple of years. Yeah, and I like, you know, I like taking a bunch of shots at one position when you're lower down the draft. You know, just keep swinging at one spot with you know, edge rusher. They draft like three of them. Um, so I'm, I like this draft. I think they've done a good job. And then obviously, fifth round kicker. <laughs> They, you know, like that less. On the other hand, he does have a great trick shot video. You got to have a kicker. Um, and a trick shot video is always good. So, you know. The trick shot was good. So I like, I like Osai off the edge, Cameron Sample. I like, I like a lot of those guys. It's going to come down, obviously, to the chase decision, uh, bringing him in, volume on the offensive line. Uh, you know, a lot of good stuff. I think we get, what do we give him? B? Because they got, they got solid players everywhere. I can't wait to see what this D line looks like, though. Sam Hubbard's solid. Hendrickson comes in. I think Sample and Osai have a chance to jump right into the rotation, and Shelvin's worth it. At on day three, all we said on the draft show is, get your two down run stuffers. That's when you get those guys. Um, that is Shelvin. He's not going to pick up a ton of pressure, but he'll help that run defense. And here's the thing: how much would you invest in your run defense just with the Ravens and Browns in your division and the Steelers? Right. Najee, yeah, Najee. It's not Najee. It's Najee. Yes. So um, Austin, tell Austin to stop talking to us right now. You're right, though. It's like um, if if there is a team out there that does need to actually think about the run, it it is the Bengals. Yeah. So in terms of defending it. So Tyler Shelvin is going to be good for at least a few of those games per year, where he's going to be a useful guy. Uh, can't wait to see Burrow and Chase together. Bengals B. You like it? Yeah, I, I think it's a good draft. 
Cleveland Browns, we gave them an A+. Um, it's just it's just value picks where they got them. Team building strategy. Did they come in with a little bit of an advantage? I think the Bucks when we um, when we talked about the Bucks, they came in with with an advantage, right? But the Browns came in with an advantage because we love what they did leading up. They, we love what their roster was look, was looking like. Greg Newsom, the corner at, out of Northwestern in round one. Jeremiah Wuso Karamoa. They traded up to get him, even though the Browns. Really smart team. They know not to trade up, but I'm all for trading up if you're going to get a guy that's top 20 on our draft board. I think there's a point. Our draft board or not, but if you're going to get two first-round caliber players in rounds one and two, I think that was well worth it. There's Yeah, there's a tension between the idea that you shouldn't trade up because nobody is good enough at correctly identifying how good a player is to be confident enough that you should trade up and grab him. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, But there's a, there's a point at which... Like the difference between where the guy is ranked by everybody and where he's currently going is so huge that it's probably worth doing it, right? There's a degree of certainty that can be taken because it isn't you, it's everybody. You know what I mean? So everybody, can we correctly identify that Jamar Chase will be better than Devontae Smith, even though most people had him above Devontae Smith on their boards? The answer is no, because uh, historically, it's always been really hard to identify like which will be the best wide receiver from a group that's very close together. But we can probably all fairly confidently correctly predict that Jamar Chase will be a better receiver than you know whoever your favorite fifth, sixth round receiver is, right? right. So that's what you're sort of talking about here is you, you shouldn't be trading up for a guy that's just the next guy on your board in this range that you really like. But for a guy that's fallen like a full round from the first where everybody had him, now you can start talking about it because you should have a degree of confidence higher that that guy can be something better. Uh, and the other thing that I love with the Browns is that they didn't just look at their depth chart and say, I got Denzel Ward, I invested in Greedy Williams, and I just signed Troy Hill. I'm good at corner. You know we love this. They drafted Greg Newsom anyway, right? And he's, he's a good fit for what they want to do. So now they either missed on Greedy Williams. Who cares? Who cares at this point? You have a Greg Newsom in there. Or maybe Newsom's not ready and Greedy, Greedy Williams is awesome and he can still play. Either way, you're giving yourself options on the back end. Um, at safety, John Johnson, Ronnie Harrison, and Grant Delpit's coming back. Hmm. So they've got three legitimate safeties. And then they, I like also that their third round picks were production guys, like a Richard LeCount who had that horrible 40 time. I know it was skewed by something off the field, but LeCount was a productive safety. At Georgia, he might be able to come in and contribute and then when you look at JOK from Notre Dame did they have a linebacker need sure but either way it's a versatile coverage player that in in you don't have to play him right away you could figure out where he's going to fit in um, but their entire back seven has just gotten so much better yeah this which is I mean it screams that was what the plan was they, this the, the coverage unit for the Browns last season was their undoing particularly down the stretch it actually over the whole season wasn't catastrophic but it was a disaster down the stretch and into the playoffs and they got lit up by the by teams um they just massive overhaul on that group we you bring in 40 percent of the league's best secondary from a year ago in terms of the rams john johnson troy hill you draft a first round corner that's a great scheme fit you're expecting to get players back into the group from injury etc so um grant delpit and, and greedy williams even if greedy williams do, it doesn't have a long-term future there JOK is that sort of hybrid between the slot, the linebacker, the overhang, just a versatile coverage player. And then there's a ton of guys that they already had. Like 
people that were already brought in that are not bad players were just in a bad unit, you know, Ronnie Harrison, et cetera. Like this has the potential to be such a massively improved unit. And they keep like taking little little nice gambles or little shots or whatever here and there. Like they just signed Malik McDowell. Remember him? Yeah. Like a second round pick who was it a like a motorcycle accident or something yeah. that got him out like just a shot to nothing, right? This is right. a former second round talent. Let's see if there's anything there. Demetric Felton, too. I mean, I, I, Malik McDowell looked like the next uh, DeForest Buckner. I mean, he looked like that was the long, you know, Greg Rousseau type of body type. It just, you know, had the off-field issue there. Um, Tommy Togiai getting another, you know, run-stopping interior defensive lineman. Get those get those guys on day three. And my boy Demetric Felton in this terrible workout. I'll take it in round six Jeez. and just see. Running back, wide receiver, hybrid. Get him in there. Looks more athletic on the field. Uh, loving what the Browns did. And I, I want to repeat again. I don't know how skewed I am by liking the football team's draft and the Browns draft and some of the other drafts I like. Maybe even the Patriots draft based off what they did in the offseason. I, I don't I don't know if their free agency has also skewed the way I look at the draft, but I think the pieces fit together with all the – and the, thing, the ones that I don't like, the Steelers we're about to talk about, the Raiders that we've already talked about, the, off the drafts I don't like – didn't seem to fit with the rest of the offseason. And I, maybe I'm doing that more than ever this year in just looking at this big picture lens. You know, how, did you improve since last year? And, you know, some teams clearly look like they did and, you know, others I others don't. I mean, I at least like to see evidence of a strategy, a plan. Can I identify from what you've been doing what you were attempting to do? Or do like, I agree with the plan? I mean, I don't even care necessarily if I agree with the plan. I just want to see that there's a strategy there. At least, like, I'm not... Well, there's a strategy in the Steelers' plan we're about to talk about, but we, I don't think we agree with it a but whole But that's lot. okay. I, I, I have more respect for a team where I can at least discern that you have a concrete strategy out there that you believe in, even if I disagree with you. We can argue about it, and I can disagree with it, but I at least, there's, there's a degree of competency that that suggests that isn't there with some teams where you're like, I have no idea what you're doing. None. Like, you appear to be just throwing darts at players or, like, some sort of random number generator. It's like, oh, this guy's available. Yep, let's sign him. Nope, don't do that one. Like, what is your strategy? I, the Browns are a great example of a team who, A, have a phenomenal strategy and, B, have the right strategy as far as we can tell, right? Not only is it um, the right thing to be doing, but you can see it in action. The hits literally keep on coming. From one boxing event to the next, Sam, they grow in excitement and anticipation. And this weekend is no different, with two of the sport's most respected fighters stepping into the ring Saturday night. There's no better place to get in on all the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To celebrate this weekend's huge event, DraftKings Sportsbook is now offering new users the opportunity to get 55-1 to 1 odds on either main event fighter to win this weekend's fight. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can bet $1 to win $55 on this weekend's main event. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out for new users only by offering them the chance to win $55 when placing a $1 bet on this weekend's big fight. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call. 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. So were you in agreement with the A-plus for the Browns? 
yeah, I really like that draft. That's one of my favorite drafts of anybody's. I think they did a pretty phenomenal draft. Renner, Renner agreed that the Newsom pick was his favorite pick of round one. Then I think it's up there for yeah, me. Yeah, I don't know if it's my favorite of round one, but it's it's a good one. Like even they drafted a guy, Anthony Schwartz, just this oh well, yeah, burner sure. from Auburn, who I don't even particularly like as a player. And they draft him the third round. It was a big reach according to our board. But I like it's a skill set they don't have. So even that, it's like that's a pick I don't love. I don't like that player. But you don't have speed, really, in your receiving group. Like Odell Beckham Jr. is probably your fastest receiver by a reasonable degree. And he's not, he hasn't been hurt. He hasn't been healthy. He hasn't been a big factor of this offense. So find a guy that just has 4 2 speed and shows up with 4 2 speed in the SEC consistently. I just, that again, it's like I love that logic to what you're doing. Um, and that just story top to bottom, I think, with the Browns. For the me. other, even the fourth round pick, James Hudson out of Cincinnati, he's a tackle with uh, T Rexes. You know, he's got the short arms. So he's probably going to play guard. So, okay. Let's look forward here. They've got the best offensive line in the NFL, but Wyatt Teller last year, 92.3 grade. He's a pending free agent. I don't know if the guards are going to pay. Why, Browns are going to pay Wyatt right. Teller. So James Hudson might be the starting guard a year from now. And again. So there's a lot of just, you know, current moves, future moves, depth moves, and I think they just all made sense. Again, like Buffalo, always add bodies to the offensive line. Like you're never sad on the offensive line. Keep going because there's going to be turnover. There's going to be injuries. There's going to be guys getting old. You need to keep finding the next guy that can come in and be your Wyatt Tyler. All right. We're going to the Steelers to wrap it all up. That's everybody, right? We get them all? Ravens, Steelers, Bank. Yeah. Pittsburgh, Steelers. What do we give it? C? C. Najee Harris. Najee. Najee. Oh, man. Najee. 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 Najee Harris. As expected. Yeah. By the way, real quick vent. Do not put me in these mock draft contests. Just get me out of these mock draft contests. Do not put my mock draft in these contests. Who put you in? I don't know. Somebody, fantasy pros or something. Were you something on that like, huddle I report thing? I, I, I asked out <laughs> of the huddle report because last year people are, oh, Steve, you idiot, you're last. Of course I was last. I'm doing what I would do. Yeah. If I was predicting the draft, I absolutely would have put Najee Harris yes. to the Steelers. Yeah. That was an obvious one. I would have put all sorts of stuff. I would have put you know Jamar Chase to the Bengals because that was where the – where the money was going at the end and all that stuff. And I went Sewell just to kind of mix it up and, you know, we'll see how things played out. So just get me out of these mock draft contests. I'm not trying to predict the future. And I don't even care if you predicted the future. What's the skill there? Good job. You predicted the draft. Awesome. Najee Harrison, what are you doing? I'm doing anything. Okay. So usually when you type with a purpose, it's like to do something to... No, don't worry about it. You're fine. <laughs> Carry on. Are you trying to get me added to mock draft contest or something here no but I, maybe we'll see if you can get out to the huddle report later they know better dead last huh that's a that's a kick dead last on fantasy kicking pros. stones and people oh you pff analyst you're dead last in first off in what <laughs> in what predicting what the 32 picks are going to be yeah it turns who out you suck first that. off who cares secondly i wasn't trying to do that thirdly hmm. my draft is probably better than what the nfl did anyway that's my goal okay well yeah it's palazzola for gm palazzola for gm so, Najee Harris to the Steelers, discuss. I mean, it's the same analysis we gave when we said this was going to happen like a week before the draft. Like, what do you, what do you want from me here? They, they made a mess. They drafted a guy that doesn't fix the problem they're trying to fix, is the bottom line. They 
you know, what was the analogy we settled on? They papered over a crack in the wall without investigating why the crack is there in the first place. Oh, yeah, we have said this many times. So the sinkhole, the subsidence in the foundations haven't been fixed, and instead they've just papered over the crack and gone, done, job done. Pat Fryermuth in the second round, tight end out of Penn State. They did go offensive line with Kendrick Green out of Illinois. Right, which they needed to. And look, people, so people that defend— Is he going to the Hall the, of Fame? Of course. People that defend the Najee Harris pick are like, the draft is more than one round long. It's like the Jamar Chase, Panay Sewell thing. The draft's more than one round long. We can fix the offensive line later on. But the problem is you needed more than one fix. Your offensive line is like this four-fifths of that. Could probably use an upgrade, maybe. Um, like the only spot you could be confident in next year is David DeCastro. And even DeCastro is coming off his worst grade since his rookie season. So... You could make a case that all five spots in your offensive line are a question mark or could be upgraded by a first-round offensive lineman. They didn't do that. They got one guy in the third round who's going to occupy one of those spots. The rest of the offensive line is in ugly shape. So Chukwuma Okorafor starting at left tackle instead of the great Alejandro Villanueva. Yes. Zach Banner at right tackle. Who has 83 career snaps at right tackle. So Matt Filer's out. Villanueva's out. Marquise Pouncey's out. Kevin Dotson did some nice things last year. Particularly in the run game. Run game-wise. Kendrick Green comes in, likely has a shot to play at center. The thing to know about Kendrick Green, one of the highest percentages of positively graded run blocks in this draft class, which is great. That's, it's actually the more stable of, if you're looking at positives and negatives, it's most, most stable for interior offensive linemen. But he also was one of the worst in negatives. So even though it's less stable, it's a bit of a concern. Pass pro is just okay for Kendrick Green. There's a reason why he went in the third. To Castro at right guard, yeah, Banner at right tackle, as I said. I mean, it's it goes from in this offensive line that we always said was annually top ten, top five certain years because they were just De Castro was the best, but the rest of them were close. They were like just good across the board. They might only be good in one or two spots next year, so that is a concern. Number thirty-one graded run blocking last year. Um, so they did regress, and I understand how the Steelers might say, well, Villanueva wasn't great in the run game. Like, we regressed last year from an offensive line standpoint. We got to overhaul it. But it's a question mark. It's a huge question mark. So Najee, I like the stat you dropped on the PFF NFL daily where you said James Conner averaged 4.3 last year, three after contact. Yeah. Is Najee going to be able to do all that after contact? And even if he does, how much of an upgrade is that for Pittsburgh's run game? Well, I mean, even the point is more like, he's not going to be able to do much better than that, which is the issue, right? If if James Conner is averaging three yards per carry after contact and you're like, oh, our run game sucks, we need, we need to fix it, Like, how much do you expect Najee Harris to be able to generate? Because the best running backs in the NFL can't generate that giant deal. Like, what do we got? The, the highest run, the highest yards after contact in the NFL last year by a guy that had serious carries was Nick Chubb, who averaged four. Yeah. So that's one yard more, right? That's decent, but you're you're saying that an extra one yard on top of what James Conner was able to do last year is the difference between good run game and bad run game. It's just not. I mean, and that's not that's by that's far from a given. Do you want to be better in the run game if you're the Steelers? Yes, absolutely do. Uh-huh. If you're going to make a run in Big Ben's final season, you have to improve in the pass game. There is still a middle of the pack passing attack as far as epa per play in the whole thing so if you're a believer in the run game pass attached to the pass game sure fine but here's the thing 
my my galaxy brain theory that I brought before the draft and on draft night just to just to talk all of our friends down off the kill the Steelers running back ledge. What if the Steelers believe they have to run more? They do, but they do run more play action. What if this does get ben, Big Ben to go from yeah fifteen like percent play action just to twenty to twenty five percent, and it does create more chunk plays and Chase Claypool. I mean, uh, to me, this whole season rests upon Chase Claypool, um, Deontay, jo- um, Deontay Johnson, mm-hmm. and Big Ben. That, like, trio and, and Juju creating big plays down the field. And maybe because they drafted a running back, they have to justify it by running more play action and run game stuff. And Right. Then you've stumbled into a, uh, a beneficial side effect without – needing to yeah like, I'm, so, I'm, I'm not saying it's a good process i'm thing. saying maybe that could be an outcome right but, but what if you could have had that outcome in addition to doing something that moved the needle even more oh, I agree. you didn't need to waste your time doing that in the first place that's the thing i agree with you that like one of the biggest things they could do to fix everything is embrace things like play action that everybody in, in the nfl does more the steelers ran less play action than anybody else in the nfl by a mile they were at like 10 point something percent last season that's almost half the next lowest team. Jacksonville, I think, was next when they were at like 17, 18%. So the Steelers are almost half the amount of the next lowest team in terms of play action. They were like two and a half times um, less than the league average. So just going to league average would have a bigger effect than drafting a first round running back. And you could do that tomorrow by just flipping a switch, right? They apparently don't do it because Roethlisberger doesn't like playing under center, doesn't like putting his eyes away from the defense when he drops back and does the run fake, right? That's fine, but that's not helping your offense. Um, So that would have the biggest impact they could do. Maybe they could do that and draft an offensive line to help, and the running back would be an afterthought. The running back would get better because you've done that. That's the problem with all of this stuff, um, is that it just isn't the thing to be addressing. The other issue is that you're right, again, their, their fortunes are essentially tied to Roethlisberger, Deontay Johnson, Juju, uh, the receivers that they have there who need offensive line to get working, right? So the, the offensive right. line isn't just helping your run game. The offensive line is also helping keep your quarterback upright who needs to be at his best because you're asking him to do an ever more difficult thing, i.e. bounce back to his best play when the dude's 39 years old and just getting older, getting towards the end. So uh, both those things... An offensive lineman helps your running game more than a running back, and an offensive lineman helps your passing game more than a running back, each of which helps the running back more than the running back. So right. it's just the last thing you should have done with a first-round pick. So, you know, they they just weren't equipped to run that quick passing game last year either. I mean, nothing about it. They didn't have the players for it. Deontay Johnson's probably their only underneath threat, but he can get open at the intermediate level. Juju's more of an intermediate receiver. Claypool needs to be a downfield star, you know, again, just to, you know, for this thing to come together. But this is, it's the last hurrah for Big Ben. So they got to be aggressive, in my opinion. And if it ends ugly, that's fine. And and by the way, people might say, well, Big Ben was terrible throwing the ball down the field last year, which he was. Yep. Um, but even at old age, I don't believe in the cliff theory. I don't believe that quarterbacks just fall off a cliff. I believe he's still Big Ben. I believe that he still has talent. Wait, what do you mean you don't believe in the cliff theory? I don't believe that quarterbacks just fall off a cliff and never recover. What happened to Peyton Manning? I didn't say it doesn't exist. I just don't think you just, when you see it, it, it like Drew Brees, it just happened, probably. Yeah. Peyton Manning, it probably happened. I, but um, You're losing me here. You hang on. How, how can you not believe in it, but it happens? 
Because believing in it is like, I don't believe it happens 100% of the time. Okay. So it doesn't happen to everybody. Yeah. Of course, of course guys fall off a cliff. Of course that happens. I'm just, I don't believe you just look at what Big Ben did last year and think he'll never be good again. Sure. Okay. So I think there is a world where he throws the ball better down the field or he just gets a little luckier because it's downfield passes and there's more luck involved. And and in their best bets, Chase Claypool becoming the star that he just showed flashes of last year. Last season, his PFF grade on deep passes was 68.3, which ranked 30th of 39 behind such noted deep ball throwers as Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, so when I when I say that, I don't Alex mean Smith. because we saw him start to fall last year that that decline will continue. Okay, yeah, is what that I'm makes saying. sense. Um, and then, you know, the rest of their draft, Dan Moore was number the tackle out of Texas A&M. We, we're looking on the draft show. Mike, is he, is he ready to step in? No. Yeah. 285 on the PFF draft board, 69 grade last year in the SEC. Got him in the fourth round at 128. Buddy Johnson from Texas A&M picked way ahead of where we had him. Isaiah Loudermilk not on our draft board, goes at 156. So we didn't love a lot of what the Steelers did I mean, in any of their picks. This, by the way, the, if, if Roethlisberger just remembers how to throw the deep ball or just gets better at it next year, again, that like moves the needle for them more than almost anything else. Like Remember Josh Allen? 12 months ago, this was the narrative with Josh Allen. It was. Worst deep thrower in the NFL. Lowest grade of anybody in 2019. 36 out of 36. PFF grade of 40. Below Kyle Allen. Below duck hodges below mason rudolph all these catastrophic quarterbacks and you're like if josh allen just figures out how to throw the deep ball like that moves the needle more than anything now allen got better at everything but he went up to sixth in terms of deep ball pff grade which is probably the largest jump we've ever seen in that i haven't checked that but that dead ass last to sixth behind tom brady yeah has got to be as big a leap as you're going to find if roethlisberger goes from a, a grade of 68 or whatever i said it was to 80 the Steelers yeah. jump more than it, anything else they could do it's it's absolutely and, and they should embrace that volatility right it, it's right. easy it's going to be easy for them to say well Big Ben can't throw down the field anymore and that's the point I want to make with stats and, and things like that like it it's it's not narrative driven it would be easy to say well Josh Allen is in year three he just got better and he'll continue to get better therefore that's why he made that jump Big Ben is old so when he starts to go down it's going to go down if for some reason Josh Allen became a bottom third deep passer next year and Big Ben became a top third deep passer, it, it could happen because that's kind of how stats work. Unstable stats throwing down the field, which are often dependent on the receiver, how open they get, whether or not they win and the whole thing, that could happen next year. And it's a stat thing. It's, it's a stability thing, not necessarily a narrative-driven thing. Young player gets better, old player gets worse. So my positive spin on the Najee Harris pick is maybe the Steelers become more aggressive, try to have a more, uh, not volatile, but just aggressive attack throwing the ball down the field because they want to run and they're going to run more play action. How's that? Okay. That, that'll do it for all of it. That's all of our previews. We've uh, reviews of all of the, um, the NFL draft classes. Now, again, we're recording this a couple days early. It's not. This is the last one. No. Yeah. No. What do we have? The NFC south and north we already posted that we did that yesterday we did that yeah we've done them out of order yes i thought we were just recording the next one then we'll no because we're gonna record live on thursday and that'll go live and this one's being recorded on tuesday for friday that's just blown the tv magic well because you questioned me i did i didn't blow the tv magic i just said we were fourth questioned you because you're saying this is the fourth one people have seen okay um so because we're going out of order still you could push the the fro thing because we're assuming (laughs) it still might be going so what's happening there uh, go account. to PFF underscore Sam on Twitter. My P 
pinned tweet is a link to the, the GoFundMe that is raising money for charity and also for all of us to see you rock an afro live yeah. on the PFF NFL podcast. Again, I said I would do it for a thousand bucks. Yep. And then I said, I'm certainly not going to just pocket a thousand dollars. want to give it to a heritage house over here in Cincinnati, a faith-based program helping men with addiction. Heroin is the most common one. Opioids, some guys drinking, whatever it might be. So I want to help them out. And I also want to have some fun here on the podcast. And I want to see you have to have a fro. Yeah. And once we get to $1,000, uh, my wife said, we will match that. She's like, give them a check for $1,000. we will do it too. So we'll, we'll match it. And um, we're over 40% we'll of the way there. We're, al- yeah, we're almost there. We might be there by the time you're actually reading this, but raising the money and we're going to do it and have a good time here on the PFF NFL podcast. Nice. So check out your pin tweet, Sims pin tweet. All right. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll be back again next week with just two shows, just two shows next week. This might actually be Monday. I don't even know when this thing's dropping, but we'll be back with more PFF NFL podcast sometime very soon. Thanks to everybody for tuning in.